You are listening to the podcast of Providence Church in Austin, Texas. We hope this message raises your affections for Jesus and helps you live out the gospel in everyday life. Paul, the Apostle Paul, is writing this letter to the Philippians from, from prison in Rome. Uh, he, he is confined to a small cell. He's probably sleeping on a stone slab or something really uncomfortable. The food is terrible. He's under guard night and day. He has no freedom to come and go as he pleases. He's just waiting. He's just waiting to, to see what's going to happen to him. Is he going to be put on trial? Is he going to be put to death? Maybe even thrown to the wild animals in the Colosseum, which was common in Rome at the time. It's a fearful time for Paul. It's an uncomfortable time for Paul. Uh, he, he's not exactly hashtag living his best life, right? It doesn't seem to be, at least. There are currently on Instagram 4,255,218 photos with the hashtag live your best life. I know because I checked this morning. So it's probably a lot more than that now. And there are a lot of beach photos, a lot of selfies in the kitchen, a lot of wine drinking, a lot of working out. Because apparently those are the things, the sort of things that you do when you're living your best life. Paul's not getting to do any of those things. He's in prison, stripped of all comforts, stripped of all freedom. And yet, it's really interesting. When you read this letter, he's so full of joy and purpose and confidence that you're like, I want to be that guy. I, I want, I, what's, what's his secret? How does he have this outlook? He, he really does seem to be living his best life. How do you explain Paul's sense of confidence and joy and sense of purpose given his circumstances? Well, we need to look into that. Philippians was our first preaching series when we planted Providence Church back in 2010 because it highlights the, kind, the DNA uh, of the kind of church that we wanted to become. And now it's 11 years later and we are revisiting this little letter to the Philippians because it, it's still the type of church that we wanna be. It, 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 this letter shows us the DNA that shapes and sustains a healthy gospel-centered church. And today, Paul lets us into his inner life, so to speak. He gives us just a little glimpse into his mindset, the, the mindset that governs his life. It's, it's actually the mindset that every Christian should have. It's the mindset that, that every church should have. But then he shows us how this mindset manifests, how his inner mindset shows up in, in real life. How do you know that you have the mindset of Paul? Well, it shows up in particular ways in your life. And so as we think about what kind of church we want to be, which is what we're doing in this series, I think it's instructive for us to look at Paul's mindset because it's the secret. It's the secret to living our best life as a church. So let's look at it. Two questions today. The first question is, what is Paul's mindset? And the second question is, how does it manifest? How does it show up? So what is the mindset? Look at verse 18, Philippians chapter one, 
verse 18. I want, you to, I want you to listen to how confident Paul is in these first few verses, how much certainty he has in, in what he says. Look at the end of verse 18, where it starts with the word yes. Even the first word is confident and positive, isn't it? It's yes. Yes, and I will rejoice. For I know, I'm confident that through your prayers, Philippians, and the help of the Spirit of Jesus Christ, this will turn out for my deliverance. My circumstances will turn out for my deliverance. It's gonna happen. And that word deliverance is actually the word salvation. Paul is saying, my circumstances, I know they're bad, I'm in prison, but they will result in my ultimate deliverance and my salvation. Verse 20, as it is my eager expectation and hope. I'm expecting this to happen. I'm hoping for it to happen. And and he doesn't mean I hope like my fingers are crossed and I hope this all works out. Biblical hope has the the idea of certainty. And, And so he's saying, when he says I hope, he means I'm certain of it, I expect it to happen. Verse 20, it's my eager expectation and hope that I will not be ashamed but that with full courage, now as always, Christ will be honored in my body, whether by life or by death. In other words, either way, doesn't matter. You can kill me or you can let me live, but Christ will be honored in my body. It doesn't matter, life, death, whatever. Christ will be honored. Now I read those verses and I think, you can't shake this guy. You can't rattle him. And it's because of his mindset. Verse 21 is his mindset in a nutshell. Look at verse 21. Here's his mindset. Verse 21. For to me, to live is Christ and to die is gain. To me, he says, to live is Christ and to die is gain. It's one of the two bumper sticker verses in the book of Philippians. It's one of the two coffee cup verses that we've turned into catchy little Christian slogans. Uh, the other one is Philippians 4.13. You know what that says? I can do all things through Christ who strengthens me. Now we like both of those verses because they sound really good. They're catchy. They just kind of roll off the tongue. They sound really spiritual, but I think they're often easy to misunderstand and they're easy to turn them into cliches if we don't look into what they mean. So what does verse 21 mean? To live as Christ and to die as gain. What does it mean to say to live is Christ? Well, at the most fundamental level, it's something that's true of you as a Christian, whether you think about it or not. We've been talking about it already today. Like if you are a Christian, your life is inseparably joined to Christ. You are in Christ, Christ is in you, to use the language of of the New Testament. Our our union with Jesus is the most fundamental thing about us as Christians. And so to live is Christ. Jesus said to his disciples, you are in me and I'm in you. Galatians chapter two, Paul said, I've been crucified with Christ. It's no longer I who live, but Christ lives in me. Romans chapter six, we have been united with Jesus in his death. And we will also be united with him in his resurrection. Colossians chapter one, Christ in you is your hope for glory. Christ is in you. And so at the very least, the phrase to live as Christ is talking about our union with Christ. Our life is bound up with him. You cannot be separated from Jesus. That's good news. 
But Paul is not actually just stating this as a theological truth, a theological fact. It's, it's not some kind of academic doctrinal truth for him. He's saying, this is what I think. He's saying, this is my conscious mindset that drives me in everything that I do. Did you notice at the beginning of the verse that he says, to me, to live is Christ. Meaning Christ is, Christ is the point of my life. Christ is, is the controlling reality of my life. Christ is the meaning of my life. Christ is the center of my life. Paul is not trying to live what we would call a balanced lifestyle, which is, uh, John Ortberg calls that the holy grail of, of American society. M meaning balance is the thing that everybody's after. Everybody's looking for more balance in their life. In a balanced life, you know what it is. You've seen the graphs. It pictures, it pictures life as sort of a pie chart with equal slices of pie. And so you've got, your, you've got your financial life, your work life, your recreational life, your family life, your spiritual life. The problem with trying to live life that way is that we're tempted to, to treat Christ as just one slice of the pie as if he doesn't influence the other slices of the pie. That's not Paul's mindset. That's not it. He's not saying Christ is one slice of my life. He's saying Christ is my life. He's the center of it. He's intimately involved in every part of it. He's directing every part of it. He's the reason for my whole life. Now, having a mindset like that would fill every aspect of our lives with, with great meaning, wouldn't it? Like every moment would be holy because Christ is in every moment. To live is Christ. To wake up in the morning is Christ. Do you ever think that when you open your eyes? To go to work is Christ. To study is Christ. To play is Christ. To date is Christ. To parent is Christ. To change that diaper is Christ. And there's a lot of diapers being changed in our church these days. But Christ is in that. All of life, no matter how mundane, is Christ. Now, if we try to make any other thing besides Christ the meaning of our lives, then we're setting ourselves up for disappointment, for disillusionment, for anxiety, because every other thing besides Christ is flawed. It, everything else besides Christ is finite. Everything else besides Christ is vulnerable. So if I say to me to live as my career, then life is only as good as my latest accomplishment at work or my latest pr promotion, or it's only as good as my job security, really. If I say to me to live is to accumulate nice things, then my life becomes about watching the stock market or watching the real estate market, or watching for my latest Amazon purchase to show up at my door, which will satisfy me for about a minute before I have to think about what am I gonna purchase next? If I say to me, my, to live is good health, then life is good when my health is good. But what if I get cancer, or get COVID, or just get old? If life is centered on my health, then decline is inevitable and death is my greatest fear. But if I say to me to live as Christ, then not even death can threaten my sense of purpose and joy. That's actually what Paul says in verse 21. Look at it again. He says, for to me to live as Christ and to die is gain. What does that mean? 
to die is gain. Well, in Paul's case, it, it means that Christ is the most valuable thing in his life. He'd trade anything for Jesus. He says this in Philippians chapter three. He says, I consider everything a loss compared to the surpassing value of knowing Christ. Everything in my life is a loss compared to knowing Christ for whose sake I've lost all things and I consider those things rubbish, garbage, dung in order that I may gain Christ. There's our word gain. See, Christ is the greatest gain in his life and death will make his gain even more clear, even more complete. Because Paul knows that when he dies, he'll finally get to see Christ in all his glory, unhindered by his own sin, unhindered by his own temptation, his own suffering, unhindered by the persecution and trouble that others are causing him. He will have pure, uninterrupted fellowship with Jesus Christ, the very one he's been living for this whole time. If our life is bound up in Christ, Listen, death can't ultimately hurt us because Jesus has conquered death. That means our destiny is resurrected life with the resurrected Lord. It's, it's the greatest gain we could ever imagine. But if career is my life, if possessions are my life, if health is my life, if family is my life, all those things are good things, but if I make them my life, then death is not gain. Death is the loss of everything, isn't it? Death is the final devastation of what I really value. I think that because verse 21 is Paul's mindset, I think because of that, verse 20 naturally gets lived out in his life. Remember what he said in verse 20? He said, Christ will be honored in my body, whether by life or by death. In other words, I'm either gonna live for Christ or, or, or I'm gonna die for Christ. Either way, Christ gets the glory. Either way, it gets shown to others in the world that Christ is the most valuable one. Either way, and the glory of Christ is Paul's great ambition. It's what he cares about most. Now, in verses 22 through 24, Paul lets us in on a little internal dialogue that he's having. He's actually wrestling with something personally. And what he's wrestling with is, would it be better for him to die or, or, or to live? Is it better to stay alive or to die? Look at verse 22. He says, if I'm to live on in the flesh, if I keep living in the body, that means fruitful labor for me. Yet what shall I choose? I cannot tell. I'm hard pressed between the two. I can't decide. My desire is to depart and be with Christ for that's far better. Meaning it's far better for me is what he's saying. Because at death, I'll be in the presence of Christ who's my highest love, who's my greatest longing. And so that's my desire to see him in all his glory. Verse 24, but to remain in the flesh is more necessary on your account. To remain in the flesh is more necessary on your account. This is just amazing because Paul has just told the Philippians, I can't imagine anything better than going to be with Jesus in glory. But I'm not thinking about what's good for me. I'm thinking about what's good for you. And you are more important than my pleasure. You are more important than my satisfaction. You are more important than my gratification. It's incredible. Who lives like that? Only someone who has the mindset that to live is Christ. Now, this brings us to how Paul's mindset is manifested. 
His mindset is to live as Christ. How does that mindset show up? How does it manifest in his life? Look at verse 25. You see it there, verse 25. Convinced of this, I know that I will remain and continue with you all. Why? For your progress and your joy in the faith. He says, that's what I'm gonna live for. I'm gonna stay here for your progress and your joy in the faith. How does Paul's mindset manifest in life? It manifests in mission, in giving himself for the good of others, in in living for the good of others. When Paul says to live as Christ, he's not just spouting some pie in the sky slogan that makes him sound super spiritual, right? He's telling us the mindset that shapes everything he's living for. It's not just theory to Paul. It's something he lives out in the trenches of everyday life, in the grit of life with real people. He says, I'm gonna stick around for your progress, Philippians, and your joy in the faith. Progress means growth. He wants the Philippians to grow in Christ's likeness. He wants them to mature in their faith. He doesn't want them to stagnate in their faith. He wants them to advance. And he says, I'm gonna give myself to that. This letter to the Philippians is evidence that he's, he's discipling the people through this letter. He's pouring himself out in words on a page that are meant to form God's people in Christ's likeness to help them progress. But Paul also wants the Philippians to have joy in their faith. He wants them to have the same joy in Jesus that, that he has. Like he doesn't want the Philippians to just believe in Jesus. He wants them to find Jesus beautiful, right? He, he wants them to delight in Jesus, not just have some sense of duty, religious duty to Jesus. He wants them to have joy. This week, Amy and I were uh, sitting around the dinner table with, with two of our girls, which was a treat uh, because actually only one of our three girls still lives at home. And so it was fun to have two of them at dinner. Uh, Anyway, we got in this conversation about some current um, challenging cultural issues, uh, things that make it difficult sometimes to be a Christian. Sometimes it makes you feel like you're swimming upstream as a Christ follower uh, because of uh, these issues. And and my girls feel the complexities and the pressures of these issues in very real ways and very real relationships. And so we had a great conversation about that uh, around the table. And it dawned on me as we were talking I don't, I don't just want our girls to have all the right answers and check all the right doctrinal boxes, even though doctrine is really important. Like, I don't just want them to be good girls who make good choices, even though choices are important, good choices are important. I want them to love Jesus. I, I want them to find joy in Christ. I want them to be able to say to live is Christ. He's better than anything I could give my life to. True joy and delight is found in him. I want them to be able to say that with all honesty. That's what Paul wants for the Philippians. But listen, to get there, it takes more than giving them a list of things to believe and do. It takes more than just giving them some some Bible study material, right? It takes life on life discipleship. It takes sitting around the dinner table. It takes time together. It takes one person who's found life in Jesus giving of themselves 
for the good of others so that their joy in Jesus is passed on to others. That's what it takes. How do I know if my mindset is to live as Christ? Well, it'll show up. If, it, if you have that mindset, then, then, then you'll be giving yourself to help others grow spiritually in some way in your life, like praying for them regularly, like meeting in small groups to study the Bible or confess sin or, or bear one another's burdens, like, like being willing to verbally encourage one another in their faith, like being willing to verbally correct one another in, in their faith, like looking for opportunities to share the gospel or teach about the grace of God. If my mindset is to live as Christ, then I won't just care about my own walk with God. I, like, I just need to get what's good for me. I'll care about the progress and joy of others in their faith. That's how the mindset manifests. And listen, to do this is labor. It's labor. Look at verse 22. Back at verse 22. Paul says, if I'm to live on in the flesh, that means fruitful labor for me. Isn't that great? He just assumes if he goes on living, God is gonna bear a bunch of fruit through him. What an expectation. If I keep on living, God's gonna bear an abundance of fruit through me. But guess what? It's gonna be fruitful labor. It's gonna be labor. It's gonna be hard, hard work. It always costs something to live for the spiritual growth of others. It'll cost you time. It'll cost you money. It'll cost you effort. It'll cost you energy. It'll feel risky. Sometimes when you have to have a hard conversation, uh, it'll feel draining sometimes when that person is struggling or that person is sinning. It's labor. It's labor. It's not convenient or comfortable to live for the spiritual good of others. Paul is in prison for it. He, it's not comfortable at all for him. But verse 12, look at verse 12. It wasn't in our text today, but look what he says in verse 12. He says, I want you to know that what's happened to me has really served to advance the gospel. Meaning my circumstances in prison have only served to advance the gospel. So he rejoices because that's what he's living for in the first place, the advance of the gospel. What does it look like to live your best life? It looks like living for others. That's where the good stuff is. It means I don't just wake up driven by some shallow motivation of what's in it for me today. But I wake up with my eyes wide open and I'm on the lookout during the day for who can I serve for their progress and joy in the faith. One aspect of our church's DNA is what we call gospel cause or mission. We talk about gospel content, gospel community, and gospel cause, uh, our, our mission. To, to, to give ourselves to mission doesn't necessarily mean that, that we're doing elaborate service projects or going on exotic mission trips. It means that we're committed as a church just to live our normal lives with more gospel intentionality. Like we're, we're, we're just gonna do all the regular things of our lives, but as we do, we're gonna be on the lookout for ways we can let others know Christ and grow in him. What if we had that mindset? Like what, what, if that, what if we had a paradigm shift in the way we saw our lives and that was the way we were approaching just our normal lives? Like how would it change the way you see going to work? How would it see your relationship with your neighbors or your perspective on parenting? 
college students, what if you realize that you're not just here to get a degree, but you're also, God also has you here uh, to help others progress in their faith and experience joy in their faith? High schoolers, youth, our torch kids, who are the younger kids in your life who you could teach what it means to follow Jesus? You're not too young to make disciples. You're not. Just show, I mean, there's kids that look up to you. Just show them what it looks like to love Jesus at your age. Mission, all that mission is, is living for the good of others and the glory of Christ. It means living for the advance of the gospel. And here's what the gospel tells us. The eternal son of God became a human being, lived the perfect life for us, the life we should have lived, died on the cross for our sins, rose from the dead so that we could have life, now sits at the right hand of God the Father interceding for us and will one day come again to make us and all things new. If that's true, if it's true, then Jesus really is the meaning of life. Isn't it? Isn't he? Like, if that's true, how could we live for anything else other than his glory and the advance of his gospel and the lives of people? May God make us the kind of church that lives for that. Let's pray. Thanks for listening to the podcast of Providence Church. For more resources and info, visit us online at www.providenceaustin.com.